I mean, the opening itself, uh, again, this is maybe my second or third time watching it. So, and I never noticed kind of that opening scene where it starts underwater and it's this beautiful, like, sea green, kind of like wavy. What do you call them? Because I, I don't know science stuff. Like the, the green stuff that kind of waves in, at the bottom of the ocean. Oh, yeah. I don't know if it's like seaweed or just like the sea plants under there. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I thought that was a beautiful opening. Again, and very much in detail to what the film kind of comes into play about the, the how the water is its own character in this film. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then you see her washed up, so. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's pretty awesome. And I guess we'll just talk about what we're talking about today, <laughs> <laughs> which is uh, J.D. Dillard's film sweetheart and why did you pick this um okay this is kind of a convoluted story so yeah like just just this week I woke up and I was thinking about sweetheart and I'm like shit I don't I don't own a copy I need a copy of sweetheart in my collection because I like physical media and um and I say that in defiance I like physical media (laughs) anyway so I'm like okay so I'm looking I check on all the you know, wherever you buy your physical media, couldn't find it. So then um, I rarely do this. I tweeted uh, JD Dillard. <laughs> I <was> like, <laughs> and he, because I was scrolling through his Twitter feed to see if like, he's like out now, you know, sweetheart on, you know, DVD or Blu-ray and I couldn't find it. So I found like he's, he had tweeted a picture of a Pokemon suit and I said, um, I will wear the suit if, you know, sweetheart is put on physical media and so he actually answered me <laughs> I was shocked I don't know like went with my day and then he answered and he said um, I'm sorry friend but you know they're not putting it out just didn't get the attention that you know warrants a physical media you know representation I was really pissed I was really mad and I'm like well now we got to talk about it <laughs> you know so that's like my story of why we're talking about Sweetheart. Also, because I love the film. It just makes me mad that, you know, this particular, like, it happens to a lot of films. But there's a lot of crap out there that gets put on physical media. Oh, my media, God, yeah. Right? And it's like, why would you bypass this film? I mean, it was a hit at all the um, the festivals when it was out. Was it, was it 2018, I believe? I think it was 2019. 2019, yeah. So... Uh, like why anyway so that's why we're talking about sweetheart (laughs) yeah so i'm going to give a little synopsis of sweetheart i'm just going to read the imdb synopsis so it says jen has washed ashore a small tropical island and it doesn't take her long to realize she's not completely alone she must spend her days not only surviving the elements but also fend off the malevolent force that comes out out each night so Basically, it's this young woman who she's on this 
you know, uh, I guess a trip on a boat with her friends or not so many friends with her, her All boyfriend. All white friends. All white friends. And they hit a storm and the, the ship is based, the ship is obliterated and they wash up on shore. And it's just this tiny little island and she has to fight something nightly. So the film stars Kirstie Clemens as Jen, Emery Cohen as Lucas, Hannah Mangan Lawrence as Mia, Andrew Crawford as the creature, and Benedict Samuel as Brad. So it's a very small cast. And yeah, it's a very tight little film on this little island in the middle of the sea. <laughs> so um, actually, actually, you know, I discovered this film through you. So I want to know how oh. you discovered it. Yeah. I got to see it at Fantastic Fest when it premiered. It was the midnight showing. And you know me. Like, me, what in the world was I doing out at midnight to watch a movie? But, you know, you're away from home. You're at a festival. I was a judge that year. Um, it was a really good experience. Um, and then, you know, it was like one of the only, I guess, not to preamble, or, but it's it was really good to see a Black filmmaker at Bad Fantastic Fest because... You don't see a lot of black filmmakers at Fantastic Fest. So, um, <laughs> and to see that and to like, you know, and he was there and he did a Q&A afterwards. And it was all, and it, I thought it was a really solid film. It, he didn't, it was like 80, what, 82 minutes or something like that. And it didn't have to be any longer or any shorter. A, a, a very simple movie that had a, has a lot of layers running through it that I thought that were important. And you know, me and Dr. Robin Means Coleman, we got to sit at the bar with him and uh, at, at the Alamo Draft House, and he kind of talked about it. And he talked about the things that he did when he um, started getting into, when he started doing press for it. You know, the idea of like, you know, putting a black, putting a black woman or young black girl in a situation where she gets to do all the cool things that we've seen white guys mainly do in the genre for so, for how many years? And just how important the of the optics of that is. But what he also did too, and I'm sure he kind of understands the layers of it a little bit, I'm sure, because he has sisters, is what me and Dr. Coleman were kind of talking about when we were kind of meditating on it the day after. Um, just the fact that like, here's this young black girl with these white people. And it goes back to that, you know, that frustrating and really just sad state of affairs of how black women are treated. Um, we're, we're not believed um we're we're dis we're dismissed we're ignored we're gaslit and all of those things were and all of those kind of themes very very again not not in your face not being spoon-fed to you but it's just the it's it's how this story is presented to you that can kind of give you that kind of analysis and there's a lot of rich textures in in a, this very very simple monster movie and then when we had to like judge you know the white guys were there and they were just like oh you know they clearly did not see what we saw in the movie and had this dismissive attitude about the film in general and thought that like J.D. Dillard came, is coming from some privileged space because Blumhouse picked up his film, which was just the most arrogant and enraging thing in the world because I'm like, you don't know shit about J.D. Dillard's career as a black man in Hollywood. You have no idea 
what what he what what came from slight to sweetheart you have no idea what even came before slight i could tell by the way you're speaking about this and you're also not understanding the deeper contours that he's bringing with this film with this particular character and how she's interacting with other people how she you know is in this harrowing situation and has even proven to herself that she could be self-sufficient. Like we'll get into like, you know, her boyfriend talking about, Oh, I bankroll your life. How are you going to survive without me? That kind of abusive bullshit. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. and just, just not, not seeing that or not taking the thoughtful time to think that that's worthy of attention because it's with Blumhouse. It it just, it, it kind of very much mirrored the, this, this article that came out, I believe it was with the New York Times around that time, talking about Black filmmakers in the 90s. Yeah, mm-hmm. they were hot. Yeah, they were getting all these opportunities, but their career wasn't allowed to expand past the decade the way in which that they had envisioned or the way that they were even maybe promised or how it looked promising. Mm-hmm. You know, and I just think, and just to hear somebody say that and to have, and to, to have history show and prove that that's not always the case for Black filmmakers sometimes I don't, I can't find the words when I'm in these situations sometimes, because my first thought is I want to cuss this motherfucker out West Philly style. Right. Because, you know, and I know that's not the right approach, but but listen, carry on. (laughs) (laughs) No, that's what that's, you know, but you know, I've, 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 I've so very much learned to like, you know, to honestly kind of let people sound dumb into stewing that, you know, yeah, that's one yeah. and two, and to just carry myself with a lot more professionalism than I want to on a daily basis. So, you know, and that's kind of how that was my first experience with Sweetheart. It was a really great one. It was a very informative one because I actually got to talk to the director. He's a really sweet guy. Cute too, uh, you yeah. know, very so. cute. Oh my god, <laughs> he's adorable. I say this in an anti space because I'm, you know, nine hundred years old, but he's. Oh adorable. my god! Anyway. No, you're anyway. not. You, you, I look 15 and you look 25. So that's all that matters. (laughs) But you know, it's funny. Okay. So I'm going to piggyback off of that. Cause when I was looking up some, you know, just like information on the film, I looked on Rotten Tomatoes and I think it has, what is it? A 95%, you know, rating Mm -hmm. or something like that. It's got a good rating on Rotten Tomatoes, but then I looked at who reviewed the film. Right. And out of the 39 on Rotten Tomatoes, there were nine women who reviewed the film. And out of the nine women, there were two black women who wrote about the film. And you want to know who those two black women were? <laughs> Me and you, Ashley. I cannot know. <laughs> yeah. It's, I don't know if anybody identifies as I couldn't. I was looking at the little pictures, the little like, you know, thumbnail pictures of the reviewers. And I'm pretty sure I think there's like some Latinx women that that reviewed but out of like uh, you and I were the like visibly black women that reviewed the film and that really again pissed me off because this is a film that I don't think was really promoted that well Mm -hmm. to get out there to the black women reviewers black women critics and their eyeballs so that they could see this and connect with the film so that also bothered me a lot so I just wanted to bring that up as you were talking about. And I just, you know, reading some of the, I'm like, I don't care what a white man has to say about this film. Like, yeah, I just, I'm just going to be blunt because you don't, they don't see the nuances, the, the, as you were saying, the layers and the themes of this film, because 
I actually, um, you you had tweeted about it, you talked about it um, when it was it came out, and I guess when you saw it. So when I actually had a chance when it was streaming, I'd had a really bad day at work, really mm-hmm. bad day. This is when I was working in that really toxic office, and I think I had like I don't know microaggression after microaggression, and I think my my manager didn't take my word for something. And then I think some shit hit the fan because she didn't listen to me. And this movie was really cathartic for me when I I came home and I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to watch something. I need to see it. Like, I love creature features. I'm like, I'm going to watch Sweetheart. And it was so cathartic for me because I'm like, yes, this is how I live my daily life at an office. Let me just say that a lot of offices are very toxic for people of color. Hmm. I'm just going to say that right now. Yeah. And even though this is a monster movie and a film on a tropical island, and it's, it, it's, it, it really captures that isolation that you feel when you're in an environment that is hostile, you know? Yes. So, yeah. It's like it's like you know human monsters and a literal monster. Yep. Even even the way that character I forget his name her who we are very much to assume as her boyfriend. Even the way he says sweetheart is so condescending. Oh. It's and again I think it's very intentional that he says it so loaded. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, when he says that he's like sweetheart. Though it's just it's so heavy. It's just such a heavy word, and I think it's a brilliant a brilliant title for this film because you don't know going in unless you've read about it you don't know what's happening you're like oh you know is this like castaway or is you know she's stranded is she gonna like meet some you know somebody on the island and you and she does but (laughs) it's a creature who which is i think it's a really cool creature too but oh yeah it's really it's it's gross looking and i like how she describes it as it smells Mm -hmm. it's everything Mm -hmm. It's everything you fear. Like I think his one, uh, like brief kind of like inspiration that he mentioned about like this film was like you know, J D. Dillard's living it up. He's partying in a, on an island with some people and folks, and then you know he spent a moment by himself, kind of looking out at the at the sea, and thought to himself, "What if something? What if I just right now just saw some kind of like otherworldly figure, just kind of staring back at me." Um, and I love I love how sometimes those kind of like idea those those general those basic quote unquote irrational fears that we have can kind of prompt so much more. It's just like you start with the creature, and then this film also becomes about other things that are really uh, ripe for in, for discourse. And you made me think because I didn't because um, I am kind of informally on the on the Rotten Tomatoes kind of band bandwagon because I can't, I, I, unfortunately I just don't have time to like review movies like I used to. And I, I really do like reviewing movies that like no one, like the short films and stuff that no one's talking about, but she made me think about the fact that like, why are we the only two has, has there, we can't be, there has to be more black. I hope, I hope I'll say this, that more black women have seen this film perhaps. I don't know. Like, yeah. Should we tweet it? <laughs> well, I don't know. I was tr- I was searching for reviews. I couldn't. I didn't find any. So hopefully, you know, if I do find any more, I will um will have them in the notes um for this episode. But yeah, I I was looking. I couldn't find anything. There's a lot of white men reviewing it, and I'm like, meh, <laughs> <laughs> nope. <laughs> um, yeah, I I just. 
I don't know. Oh yes, the um the monster going back to the creature. Um I thought that was my favorite scene when the creature first appears and she shoots the flare yeah. and that mm-hmm. was such a gorgeous shot. Oh my god, yes. what a brilliant brilliant shot. And it kind of and you know, I mean you could equate it to and I actually but I'm doing this in a, a positive way not to say that you know, oh look this is copying anything because it's I feel like this is a holy it's a unique and also an homage to like um, Ripley and Alien, you know, and like Ripley mm-hmm. was trying to get people to listen to her and, you know, they're like, yeah, yeah, whatever. And then they get their asses kicked but or eaten. But, you know, it's at that same light, but it just has that layer because she's black and Black women have to fight to be heard all the time and their experiences are constantly denied all the time. And I don't know, it just, it's that extra, extra sauce, <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's, it's not so far fetched to like really connect this. Cause we hear it a lot more and I, and I follow, um, OBGYN who actually used to be on the real world way back in the day she's now a doctor and this is one of her biggest issues as far especially with black women in health Mm -hmm. is she and that's this is why if I lived in New York City that's my doctor Mm -hmm. like I will pay I will get the best best health insurance because she is so that is her wheelhouse she's so adamant about making sure that black women's health is a priority that they're not in these toxic environments where people aren't believing them i know serena williams is one of the more famous examples too about how she suffers from blood clots and after her baby after her daughter was born you know making sure the doctors were aware of that she almost died serena williams almost died because the doctors didn't believe her like or they didn't like really take seriously what was going on with her body and i think that's just so that's terrifying um you know being a being a woman being a human being we are still human beings who still have to go to the doctor's office especially for those who those of us who want to give who want to give birth who have given birth and having to go through that situation and and to like hoping you have to go in there with this extra worry and but also extra backup if you have those resources to be prepared for unfortunately for that kind of like medical racism backlash as far as like your like the 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 priority of your health because there are way too many preventable deaths of women who have been giving birth to their children and i just think that is so devastating um, and I think Sweetheart is an ex- is just that's just one example of the many examples that Sweetheart tries to convey. Oh, absolutely! And you know, it's, it's because you know, if Serena Williams had to go through that, and she has money, and she has quote unquote access, can you imagine if you're just like a you know a regular woman working a you know whatever nine to five or shift work? job and you want to get some medical attention like I have to say I think uh, that happened to my mother um, because my mother had a, a West Indian accent and I feel like one of her her we used to go to this doctor he was fine I guess but she he was my childhood doctor and then I dumped him and started seeing other like women um uh, female f- physicians and my mother stuck with him and I feel like he dropped the ball a bit with her illness and her diagnosis and what led to her passing away but mm-hmm. you know you also have to think about like the way people are treated if they have a heavy accent or you know they're a woman a woman of color a black woman like it just there's so many like 
ingrained racist uh, assumptions that really affects everything in a black woman and a woman of color's life, like specifically a black woman. They just, there's so many assumptions and it's so racist. So yeah, I think this film really brings in the conversation about what, like what black women go through daily. I mean, cause you see, yes. you see Jen day to day. And you know, what's really great is that Jen, like right off the bat, like she, so the film opens where she's, you know, washed up on shore and then she sees Brad washed up and he's, he's like gravely injured. She pulls him up. She tries to stop the bleeding. She goes, I got to get some water. She gets, goes into action. She finds a coconut. She breaks it open, tries to give him some water. Unfortunately, he dies, but she goes into action. She starts exploring the, the island, see what she can find because she's figuring, well, I've got to figure out how to survive until I can get off of this island. So she goes into action and it's, it's interesting because I feel like black women in general, we always have to think like, Hey, what am I going to do? How am I going to solve this? How am I going to get through this? And we don't really have time to rest, you know? And she, I feel like she doesn't give her time herself time to rest in this film. Cause she can't. No, yeah, no, she can't. Um, She's she's not a damsel. Mm-mm. And even like so quickly, like, you know, she doesn't know this island. This is, you know, she was just washed up here and just understanding like water and was able to like, it's just it being so quick, so quickly resourceful was really, um was really something for me because I don't think that's something that like everyone would kind of think to do immediately um, it can or can even find. So and to like, you know, grab something to like try to get it, to try to get water out of the coconut. Like she did it in, you know, she did it so so swiftly, and was able to do the best she could for you know Brad. Even that, even the name Brad is so <laughs> Anglo-Saxon bourgeois, like frat um, boy. Oh, here's Brad. It's a frat boy. <laughs> yeah, who got the who got the unfortunate? He got the bad end of. I don't know how he was stuck with. What is it? Was that kind of a what did a, a piece a coral? of coral? Yeah, it was stuck. In this, yeah, yeah, yeah which ouch so yeah so he didn't survive and yeah her her resourcefulness very quickly um yeah she i that's why i like about this film it doesn't there's no that part isn't open for interpretation i feel like it's just like you literally have to be in survival mode in order to to in order to endure being shipwrecked and then you're by yourself you have to look around the island you have to find every resource you can in order to you know stay you know stay warm have shelter be able to find places to sleep uh, being able to eat even like one of my favorite parts is like she you know she was able to get like the chum for the water Mm -hmm. to attract larger sea creatures i think mostly i think she was able to catch a shark yeah and (laughs) And when she was so shocked that she did it, she was like, like, it was like a victory for her. And the way she kind of like celebrated was really, really nice and very, very human moment. Because I think I would probably do the same thing. Yeah, because she kind of looks around like, are you seeing this? Oh, wait, there's nobody here. But it's awesome. (laughs) You know, it's really, I thought it was a really cute moment too. She was so good. Uh, Clemence is so good in this film. Mm -hmm. Like, oh my God. She's, she just has a very sweet face as well. So it's interesting that, like she's she's kind of adorable and then it's called sweetheart but then she's like this fierce you know like survival mode girl so i think it's really cool yeah 
and and fierce in her own way like it's not it, it's it, she's not like michonne from the walking dead no. she just there's there's like you clearly see like she is she's she's the same person she was before the boat accident and then after while she's trying to do what she needs to do in order to survive mm -hmm. and like even again her her internal life we get hints of that too because she has that diary or that journal i'm sorry mm -hmm. with um her her name her full name on the cover and then she kind of sees that like from from being washed up on the sea like everything she wrote is kind of just like pretty much gone mm -hmm. the ink is blurred and i felt and that was a moment of kind of sadness to me because i felt like that was that was probably what was in those pages is really a big component of who she was. And it was the part that people don't see because what she also does, she turns around and it, she turns a photo around and it's one of those, I don't know what they're called, but like the, the long photos where you take different photos with people in a photo booth. Oh yeah. Those. Yeah. 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 It's just a photo booth strip, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting that her boyfriend or whatever, he has a mask on and they're kind of like cuddling and kissing and stuff. Mm -hmm. And that's the, and that's the only thing that didn't get damaged. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But you know, it's interesting you say that it, it's sad in a way, but also I feel like it's, it washed away her past. So this is kind mm. of like her reinvention, like she's stuck on this Island so she can either be in the past i mean because she looks at her but you know it's sad and she looks at her boyfriend and she thinks he's dead and and it's really interesting that i never thought of that you he's wearing a mask in that picture so that's very uh interesting to me that you mentioned that because i never thought of that it's mm -hmm. really yeah that's really now i'm like ooh, <laughs> yeah it's very telling because yeah and but you know, I feel like it washed away her past. So maybe she has a chance to reinvent herself on this island and become, because there's, they kind of hint at when uh, Mia and Luke, Luke is her boyfriend. So when Mia and Luke come wash up on shore, when she finds their raft, she pulls them ashore and she tells them that this monster has been coming after her nightly and they've got to get off the island and they don't believe her. And I think Mia kind of implies that Jen isn't believed or there was a situation where they thought Jen was lying about being mugged. Right. Right. And so there she's, she's got this kind of reputation with these, this group of people. And I don't know, to me that it made me angry. <laughs> like, I don't know if maybe she really did lie about being mugged or, but it just made me angry because I'm like, so that one incident, meanwhile, you know, these uh, white kids can kind of go about their lives and do whatever the hell they want. But like that one thing, and actually I made some notes here because uh, I, when Lucas is kind of telling her off, like, so basically she tries to steal the raft. So Luke and Mia get washed ashore. She rescues them. She tells them they need to get off. And they're like, no, no, we don't want to leave the island. So she's like, okay, she decides she's going to leave. She's going to leave them because she's got to take care of herself because they're not listening to mm -hmm. her. So then they catch her. They they kind of knock her out, bring the raft back, and they tie her up because they think that she's going to try it again. So she has a moment with Mia, and then she has a moment with Luke. And Luke basically starts blaming her for the accident because he said that she came on that cruise with a dark cloud and then all of a sudden the storm comes. Oh my god. Remember that? I'm like, excuse me? I 
I do, but yeah. I didn't think he was implying that she was she she was the reason that there was an accident. But like he just it's just this weird like he's like, well, there's a dark cloud that kind of care, you know. So you your bad mojo. Maybe he thought it was like her bad mojo, and then he 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 thinks that she kind of she owes him as you mentioned before, right? And then mm-hmm. she he also blames her kind of for the creature's attack because. As he's kind of talking shit to her, Mia gets attacked by the creature. And so, uh, anyway, he just made me angry. And it just, they kind of blame everything on her and make her the villain. Meanwhile, she's trying to tell them, yo, there's this creature that's going to try and eat us. We need to get off this island. So, it just on a on a larger scale i feel like black women are vilified i mean you know i just did my presentation talking about that you know <laughs> like black women are treated as the villain when we're trying to tell the truth but when somebody else says it they'll they'll take the other person's account other than ours you know i don't know yeah or in this case he actually he actually got to see mm-hmm. the and, and there was no obviously no love loss with her kind of like biting the bullet because she didn't believe jen in the first place mm-hmm. and she and for some reason the way she looked at jen from the beginning and all that it just she seemed to have some lingering negative feelings towards her in general anyway mm-hmm. for, for for reasons we we just don't know again i like this film because it doesn't tell you everything mm-hmm. you're just we're just filling in the gaps because that's more that's much more fun to do mm-hmm. with a particular film like this but yeah i mean even that even him luke was talking to jen about you know being on the boat and stuff she was probably already showing signs of like wanting to kind of break away and be because it because let me guess like this was his boat or you know his uh, his access to this boat it was probably his friends everything was his 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 and she's just his black girlfriend Mm -hmm. because i don't trust guys like that anyway i think they pick you know girls like her so they can look you know cool or or piss off their parents or whatever yeah i said it Mm -hmm. um i've been there i've been that girl where you're like uh so I guess you're not dating me because you like me. <laughs> anyway, yeah, <laughs> totally. So, so that so all of that was about him, 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 and it was never about her and what she and you know, and what she was probably wanting to do and grow as a person. And that's clearly not not a healthy relationship. Uh, and but then yeah, this monster thing comes in, and yeah, we don't know. I agree. Like, I don't know if we know she was lying about being mugged or not. We don't, we don't know that. And we can't, and we can, we can't say either or, but, and that's probably not even the case, not even important. Mm -hmm. I think what's important here is that there is an actual monster that the audience is privy to as well. And she is trying to do the smart thing. Like how people sometimes silly, 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 I know that's not a word, but sillily say <laughs> that black people don't wish smarter in horror movies, blah, blah, blah. Well, yeah, she's the black person who's a smarter person in horror movies. And yeah, because I really loved that, you know, she tried to convince them to go and they said no. I love the, the first thing. Oh, 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 that part. When, so 
she you see that spread of like you know of the of the of the cooked fish and the coconuts and then they're like it's so peaceful here and then when she tries to leave and then lucas says something about like you know you're supposed to be here to take care of me he says something like that do you remember oh i didn't catch that oh my god now i'm gonna have to go look at it it was yeah no it was something yeah Yeah. something similar to that that made me think oh so she oh so she's supposed to stay on this island to cook for you and to provide you shelter Oh. Is, that, is that what I just heard? Is that is that what I just interpret? <laughs> really? Uh. And people want to dismiss this movie as having like no substance. I it drives me bonkers. Yeah. So. It it really is infuriating how good this film is and how how many people missed. They missed this film. They missed they missed the boat on this film. Literally, literally missed the boat. <laughs> I just it's infuriating how good this film is and how many people kind of just dismissed it it's anyway but i mean isn't that telling i mean if the main character is a black woman and they're like well we need more it's like you know there's so many shit films out there that you didn't need more for and you gave it a good review you know sorry (laughs) yeah or a good review or a scathing one that has a lot of people's attention that's happening a lot too yeah oh yeah well (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I guess we'll get into that later, but anyway, um, yeah. Um, oh yes, I wanted to to mention too the underwater photography. Oh my goodness, it was beautiful, eh? Like, so the f- cinematography was done by Stefan Ducio. So sh- um, that th- it was so gorgeous, just beautiful c- cinematography. And shout out to Andrew Crawford who played the creature because apparently that suit was very heavy. Plus when he was underwater it you know added extra poundage so he was mm-hmm. struggling there and i'm sure it was really uncomfortable in that heat as well so yeah i thought the cinematography was gorgeous yeah i i agree on off on off um fronts uh, it was yeah even i the distinctness of daytime evening and then night was really beautiful especially i love dusk i love dusk in general who doesn't Mm -hmm. it's like when the sky becomes all myriad of colors and and it's such a remote place it even looks more beautiful and i also very much noticed how blue the ocean was like we both live on the atlantic so we're just used to gray yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah i was actually thinking like you know i'm not a real i'm not really a beach person but I could I could handle that beach like it was stunning. Just the beautiful water and you know when we went to uh, was it Rehoboth Beach? Yeah. Just that the warmth and you know just being in the water and the beach. It's very soothing. So it's interesting that this little paradise in the middle of nowhere becomes a nightmare. So I like that aspect too, like the beautiful scenery, but like it shows that nature is dangerous too. This that little nugget, you know? Yeah, I think that was the overall point. Yeah. One of the overall points of this too is just like, yeah, because even when the character, I forget her name, she makes the comment about it's so beautiful or peaceful here. Mm-hmm. It's yeah, it's this it's this, this it's deceiving on purpose mm-hmm. especially for because this is a genre film something is going to go wrong it would be nice to be kind of like washed ashore there with you know resources no matter how minimal they are they could get you by until hopefully a rescue team kind of comes and that's what the other thing about that rescue team so there, there was like a helicopter in the sky and she and she uh 
she shot off the flare gun. Mm-hmm. How could you not see that? I know. Like, even if you're further away, like, I mean, you, unless they're like way ahead, like a, a giant red flash in a black sky, <laughs> you're going to see that. <laughs> yeah. You know? Uh, yeah. So, and I, you know, it's funny. I don't know if I'm jumping ahead, but like the ending where, um, spoilers. Okay. Maybe I shouldn't talk about it. Should I talk about it? This is we talk about the whole film. Okay, okay, all right. So, okay, sorry if you haven't seen it. Spoiler. So the ending when the the everything's on fire, right? I'm like, well, Mm. surely I hope it's the time of day where you know it's kind of becoming dusk and they'll see her eventually because it's it's on fire now. (laughs) You you kind of see her now. So yeah, I just. I like that aspect too. And I just, oh, yeah, this movie is just great. Yeah, that was, I mean, her character is very smart. That was the smartest thing to do for multiple reasons. Mm-hmm. For one, trying to like trap the monster. Mm-hmm. And then two, um, hopefully someone would see it and actually think, oh, someone's down there and probably needs our help perhaps. But yeah, also, yeah, I mean, even the battle between the monsters, she takes some blows, but like, interestingly enough, is able to kind of like, get up and keep moving mm-hmm. um found that intriguing about her and also just the whole hand like hand-to-hand combat like she she fashioned weapons and made sure she got it in good enough and even like watching it for like the sec for like the couple of times i'd seen it even watching it you know this morning to prepare like even like she so he he goes after her and then he kind of falls so you know he's kind of like you know she really gave him a run for his money or it's money. And then mm-hmm. she goes up to him and I'm just like, and she just jams it in like just for one last, making sure that this thing isn't even breathing. And I'm like, that's right, girl. I yeah. said something <laughs> like that, but I, I said it out loud because I was just like, that's what you're so, that is the smartest thing to do in a situation. Like if you find, if you're able to combat a monster, and get him down, you got to make sure that that nigga can't breathe anymore. Like there's the, I would get it in the eyes. I'd make sure he's decapitated something. <laughs> Yeah, that, you know, I always okay. So whenever you know you're watching a, a monster movie and like the the person's killing the monster and they do like the one jab and they're like he's dead. No, no he's not. <laughs> you know, you gotta go in. Gotta go in. And I love that she went in. And it just it actually made me. It I I Ripley from Alien keeps coming up for me because I'm like, you know, this is just like an encapsulated fight similar to Ripley where Ripley's like running all over the ship Mm -hmm. well you know Jen's got this little circle of fire and she's trying to fight this monster and I just thought I don't know it just was it was really great because I loved seeing a black girl fighting a monster and I've seen some criticisms and like there was somebody there's a YouTube channel they're talking about the monster and like well why is this and why is that it's like can you not just enjoy that it's a creature feature yeah and she's kicking its ass just just enjoy it, man. Because, I mean, there's so many other monster fights that are just ridiculous. And you're like, how on earth is that person surviving being knocked on their ass by this giant monster? So, you, I'm sorry. Like, that doesn't really, the argument doesn't win here. Yeah, Ripley's a great comparison. Also, I compared this to John Carpenter's The Thing. It was it was the fire and the, mm-hmm. and the climax that made me kind of think about that as well. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. It's just it's just such a great I don't know, I just like like love that moment and when she was preparing and she's like sharpening sticks and sharpening bone and like she's just getting mm-hmm. ready and it again it's like you know you don't need a whole cast 
of characters to fight a monster. You have like this one little like young woman who, by the way, um, I did notice how adorable she was looking. Like she was wearing her cutoff shorts and she picked like the cute bathing suit. (laughs) She was still looking cute on that island. I'm sorry. She, you know, she still had her sense of like, it really brought in that kind of, you know, I could imagine on the boat before the the storm and the accident, like they're taking selfies and they're in cute, you know, bathing suits. They're young yeah. women, they're young people, and they want to, you know, they're cute. And I love that aspect that she's still wearing like a cute bathing suit or like she's changing and, you know, she's taking a bath in the in the sea. And I just I like that aspect where she's just a little bit girly. I just thought that was cute. And then she's kicking this monster's ass. Yeah. So I thought that was a really great. <laughs> and I think accidentally cute. Like she was able to like mm. get some stuff washed up in the shore, somebody's suitcase. Yeah. I, mean, I just I her her body's just snatched. So she's oh. gonna look cute in anything. Yeah, she's got that body that me and you used to have. <laughs> Listen, there's a shot when she like her back is like I think she's looking through some you know the people that were there before she's looking through their bags whatever and she says that perfect hourglass shape and i'm like i remember (laughs) i remember that (laughs) totally so i'm just dissolving into sad laughing now yeah but anyway she, yeah no her, yeah. her cute her cute clothes were just like courtesy of someone else and then it was yeah. kind of just like I, I don't know if those were her clothes or not it didn't seem like it because of the nature of the film it seems like she had to emote more or less with dialogue and more with her mm-hmm. face and her gestures so mm-hmm. when that that suitcase washed ashore it seemed or no it didn't wash ashore she went out she swam out to go get it that's the other thing too you got to be a strong swimmer yes to swim out that far and then come back so she swam out to get it and everything seemed to fit fine, which is like, that's a luck of the draw. It seems, um, I, again, I'm not sure if that we're supposed to think that was her stuff or not. I don't know. Yeah. Now I feel like I want to go back and see if maybe it was supposed to be her stuff. I don't know. But, yeah. I mean, yeah. So yeah, everything. So she was wearing everything out of necessity. Like, you know, you're wearing, you know, your bathing suit when you're swimming or in your shorts it's for, it, during the day because it's hot. And then it's usually when you see her at night, she's um, mostly in uh, the tights and the uh, sweat jacket. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, everything. Yeah. Again, she just very much just happened upon the suitcase and everything fit right. And it was all very girly. Mm-hmm. I, I just like that aspect, you know, I mean, I mean, they were technically on vacation, right? So if she's going to find a suitcase it's gonna have vacation clothes right so mm-hmm. i don't know it's just it was pretty good yeah her her being a black final girl aside and being a black final girl is very specific distinct than being a regular old final girl um mm-hmm. i talk about it in an essay i wrote that hopefully will be published one day soon i don't know but uh <laughs> and another like random observation it's not really random because it because the camera made uh made a point for us to notice it as audience members. So she actually, she asked to borrow Lucas's, uh, a knife, oh, the pen knife. Yeah. Yeah. And she sees the blood on it. She's like, what's going to happening. And then when Lucas realizes that she's not lying and they get on the raft together, she sees blood on that. Mm-hmm. So again, going back to that mask he was wearing in the picture, just like something is off. Something happened on that raft before she came on. Because why is there blood on his knife, and why is there mm-hmm. blood all over this all over this raft? Yeah, because there was somebody named Zach, and like when she asked 
them like Mia and Luke like what happened to Zach and they kind of look at each other and like yeah he he didn't make it there's a, a Q&A uh, YouTube uh, somebody recorded it from one of the festival screenings and he was like um, Dillard was like oh you know I, we didn't want to kind of spoon feed people mm-hmm. they didn't want a lot of exposition so it kind of leaves it up to you to think about what happened and like and from that you know, I, I remember that scene specifically, and it's interesting how the two white people are supporting each other, and they don't support her. I, I, just that yeah. whole kind of, it just didn't, it seemed like really microaggression-y towards her. Oh, I don't know. It, yeah, it just was really interesting. Yeah. But yeah, that was a very key moment when she looks at the blood and like she's wondering mm. and then the the wrath that was yeah that was really good i guess there is something to say about when something traumatic like that happens and no matter how short of a time you spend with someone there's some sort of like weird not weird but some sort of shades of gray bond that people form and there's a pact that Lucas and the other girl, I can't remember her name, I'm sorry, that they have amongst each other, especially when it comes to whatever happened to Zach or what we're supposed to think. And Mm -hmm. that could have been, and because the situation is so traumatic and so extreme, I mean, I'm guessing there possibly could have been some unresolved tension that kind of came to the surface because they're in such a life or death situation. And Mm -hmm. and like, you know, emotions are running incredibly high and that's just an understatement. And there might've been like an altercation where they had, where he might've killed Zach. I just think cause ever, cause he just comes off as a shady person in general and just Mm -hmm. not a nice one and two. So you're going to assume the worst considering how he's treating his, you know, his supposed girlfriend. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like there's definitely there was some tension between Mia, the the girl Mia and Jen. Mia. Okay. Mia. Yeah. I feel like maybe I don't know if there is like some underlying thing like maybe Mia liked Luke for whatever reason. I don't know. He doesn't seem particularly attractive in any way. (laughs) (laughs) He's a cute guy, but just his personality is just. ugh. I don't, you know, who knows how they got together, Jen and, and Luke, but it just seemed like there's like this triangle had some sort of history before the island. That's mm-hmm. it made me think that. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I it's, it, that, that's definitely possible. It's all very One Tree Hillish. <laughs> <Yeah>. Yes. <laughs> my sister loves that show. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Yes. But I, but like that's just in this again. That's why I love, I love that he said, yeah, every, yeah, we're not going to spoon feed you. You know, use your imagination. I love mm-hmm. when films do that because a film, to me, it's all about telling the story visually. Of course, story mm-hmm. is important. Story is very important. But you tell the story through symbols. You tell the story through gestures, through the tension that people, how the, how people interact with each other, not necessarily what they always say. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, again, it depends on the film, and I think in genre film that tends to work better. I think visual cues um, tend to really give a film more texture and layers. Perhaps I, I'm use that term a lot. Forgive me, but like I think yeah. that's what I think that's always worked best in genre film. Like if you even think back to silent movies, like there was no sound, so 
a lot of the terror or fear or dread had to be emoted through people's faces, through the way they mm -hmm. move their hands, and all these kinds of things were really important to early genre films. And so why wouldn't they just be just as equally important today? Because because some audience members are lazy. I said yeah. some, you know? Yep. Uh, I was just going to use the word lazy because people are being lazy. Yeah. So absolutely. Yeah, I think it's really important that like a film like this is so like even like I don't I didn't write so much of a review as I kind of did a blurb because I because this film is so simplistic in the best of ways. And mm -hmm. I am anti spoiler. So that's why I didn't like get, do a deep dive on Tweetheart when I first wrote about it, because I wanted people I wanted people to get excited about wanting to see it. You know, mm -hmm. instead of just like giving them everything that I think happens or mm -hmm. or what exactly does happen. I want you to, this is the kind of film you should really experience for yourself. It's really unfortunate that it didn't get a wide release. I don't know why. I don't, it be, is, I don't know if it's because of the way the story was executed or not. It definitely needs a Blu-ray release. I agree. It probably eventually will get one. So don't fret. So. Okay, because I was going to go, I don't know, I mean, not like I could hop on a plane and fly to LA and trash an office, but I mean, I'd like to. <laughs> anyway, yeah, so I, because I really, I really want to own this movie. Like, it's just really special. And, you know, it's, it's interesting. I, I was just scrolling through um, my Twitter feed this morning, and there's a Canadian playwright, producer, and author, and her name is Trey Anthony, and um, she was uh, being interviewed by someone from this website called By Blacks, and it's a Canadian website. It just celebrates different Black people in politics and entertainment and, you know, education, that sort of thing. So they're talking to Trey Anthony, and she wrote a book called Black Girl in Love with Herself. And it's just about her dealing with um, mental health and, you know, coming to terms with and acknowledging that sometimes we need support and, you know, we need to see a therapist and that sort of thing. And she was talking about trusting your gut. And it really made me think about Sweetheart because I just thought that, you know, Jen has to trust her gut. And when you're not being supported. You have to like trust yourself and trust your gut and support yourself. Mm -hmm. And then it's really interesting because Kirstie Clemens said that um, in her, the Q and a, she said that denial of black women's experience is violence, right? So yes. it's violence. Yeah. It's committed against us. So it's just really interesting how I came across Trey Anthony's book, which I'm actually, I'm ordering because there's something on my to-do list, but I'm ordering that book. Um, and I just think it's really important that we as Black women acknowledge that, you know, we're strong, but we need support. And when we're not getting that support, it's it's violence. And it's that denial of our experience. It's violence. So, yeah. Say that, say, say that one more time for the people out there, please. <laughs> it's violence when you don't support us and deny our experience. Okay. <laughs> oh, my God. And actually, I just thought it was really cute because when they're into, I'm going to, I'll put the link because when they're interviewing Trey Anthony, oh my God, it's adorable. Her Canadian accent comes through. I think she's Jamaican. I think her background is Jamaican, but she's like, oh yeah, you know, I went out and I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> so cute. It's like such a black Canadian thing to have like a slight West Indian, slight American and slight Canadian accent. It's like this mishmash of accents and I love it. Sorry. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah. It's very <laughs> odd to us. Well, it was very yeah, odd to people sure. in my region. 
Y'all, yeah, y'all, I'm y'all, sure. Y'all all sound very different. I know. <laughs> we're it's we, yeah because we're just such a mishmash of cultures here. So anyway, yeah. Look out for J.D. Dillard. Um, he directed an episode of The Outsider. Um, he directed a Twilight Zone episode called um, Downtime. He also directed an episode of the American version of a series called Utopia. Um, it actually was an originally a British series, and it's so good. It's it's a conspiracy theory series um, based on a comic book and like comic book nerds, and they have to try to save the world basically. So there's an American version starring John Cusack, and uh, J.D. Dillard um, directed an episode for that, which was really cool. I, every time I see his name when he directs a TV show, and I'm like, yes. <laughs> so. Yeah, I would say check out Sweetheart, find it. It's streaming on Google Play. Um, I think it's on Apple TV. It's on Netflix too. And, oh, it's on Netflix for you guys. Oh, yeah. I'm so jealous. <laughs> oh, anyway, yeah, check it out. And um, Ashley, do you have any final thoughts? No, I think you put the you put the final period on it with that last right. sentiment. I know I know that's kind of been a running theme, but also it was a perfect way to kind of understand it, like. I will never forget hearing a similar term, how I was watching a documentary about the weather underground and they were this white radical group who bombed a couple of buildings, you know, for, you know, in order to kind of incite like real societal justice and racial justice. And the one woman was kind of talking about how, you know, I'm living this white bourgeois existence, but I'm ignoring everything that's going on in the world. And to me, that's violence. And that's why she mm-hmm. totally rejected it. And Again, th- again, I like that idea and concept because I do feel it's really tangible and I think it's really, I think it's jarring and I think it's sobering if you really take it into consideration that sometimes our privileged existence is violence for someone else. And mm-hmm. that goes very much into what we talked about with Sweetheart. So mm-hmm. yeah, for everyone who hasn't seen it, I want, I'm going to encourage and hope Black women talk about this more and write about it because I think it's definitely worthy of more attention from Black female spectators. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. All right. So this is a little extra, extra, a little something, something bonus. We're going to be getting very briefly into the 2021 version of Candyman. Yep. Oh, my God. <laughs> so um, Yeah, man. I- I think what prompted this discussion is some of the critic reviews that we've read and some other just essays and stuff like that. We haven't, unfortunately, I haven't had time to get through everyone's stuff, but like, I think I remember you, Carolyn, you were just like, you know, I liked the movie. I don't, you know, I think some critics are just being too harsh and I Mm -hmm. don't just, I don't agree with everything that they're saying. And so that's kind of why we wanted to like have an addendum to this particular episode about the hoopla that Candyman is arousing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it, it's weird. I, th- I think the very first one I read was a super negative review, just like, just like slashing <laughs> left and right. Like, just they did not like the film. And that totally fought, like, that's great, you know, because it created, I think it created the, the storm of, of opinions that came up. But I do, I just um I don't I don't know because you know there's so much hype brought up around this film because we had to wait 
And then, you know, we want to see it in theaters and you want to release it, this and that. And then there's Jordan Peele and then people weren't um, correctly uh, um, crediting Mia DaCosta as being the director. And it was like a lot of turmoil and a lot of stuff going on with around this film. So and I think a lot of people were really excited to see it. I know I was. Um, and just I don't know if it was just like people, the hype made people a bit disappointed with what they actually saw i don't know but i just thought you know black film is not one type of thing and some people are gonna like it which is great like me and i mean it wasn't all perfect but you know i liked it overall and then some people aren't going to like it and i just i don't know I'm still kind of working out my thoughts with it because I mean, mm-hmm. I worked um, with uh, Marion Bastani who is, uh, who works at Rue Morgue and uh, there's a, a, a link up for just some other horror content creators talking about Candyman. They answer like about five questions about can- the new Candyman and their thoughts, because I feel like there was a lot of like quote unquote critics talking about the film, but then, there are other horror creators too who have opinions and I just feel like they got lost in all this turmoil. I don't know. I'm still working out my thoughts, but talk Ashley. Cause <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I agree. Like after I saw it for the first time, I'm just like, okay, I liked what I saw, but also this is a film that needs to be watched multiple times to, I, I think it, I think it's fair to give this movie time to kind of marinate inside of you and to kind of because there are you know a lot of very on the surface and on the nose themes that run through it for sure but also give it some time to breathe a little uh there were were there missed opportunities to do certain things um cinematically absolutely like even the example of like showing chicago and making it feel like we're in chicago Mm-hmm. I think that's because especially for people who are from there I've only visited a few times so mm-hmm. I don't know the landscape intimately like people who are from that region so I yeah I think that would I, I agree because if if there was a movie shot and immersed in Philadelphia I want to see Philadelphia like mm-hmm. Creed is probably one of the uh, more recent examples of that where oh yeah they definitely shot here and things seem odd because I'm like looking like where Michael B. Jordan's character is staying. I'm just like, dude, that's right on 52nd and Spruce. But then like, it's weird because like, that's not the neighbor. Like it was so weird. Like, yeah. Cause you feel like you're I'm seeing Philadelphia in that film. And I mm-hmm. think with Candyman, I think some people are feeling like they're not seeing Chicago because what uh, one of the, one, of, I guess, I guess for some people, what made the original Candyman so special is because this, this feels like Chicago. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I get, I know that's just like one issue that certain critics had with it but then there's you know other stuff too about being disappointed about like you know are we tiptoeing and treading into this black trauma for white people's enjoyment kind of motif Mm -hmm. again you know and that's these are all fair assessments and discussions uh you know someone someone also recently kind of talked about i won't mention no names but like just wrote a really reasonable and diplomatic um uh kind of essay where he kind of talks about, and I hope I'm getting this right, how, but I also I'm taking into consideration his age and mm-hmm. how much he's done as far as writing about film for the, for what 
20 years maybe 15 20 and okay. so he's just he's just at this point in, in his life where he's more interested in like not reading about this sucks or this was awesome mm. but more mm. like what does this film mean to you like talk mm -hmm. talk to have a dialogue with it talk with the film and just getting like insight on people's personal experiences with a cinematic work more than writing a review you mm -hmm. know yeah and, and that's how i approached it too because i i kind of the way i i don't know if it's right or wrong but the way i experience a film is that i have to absorb it it's just so weird like i have to it's like i'm almost sending out feelers to the film and I want to absorb it like in a kind of an organic way I need to get a feel of the film and then I'll kind of look at the technical stuff and the acting and whatever and so I the I experienced this film through the eyes of someone that grew up with a father who's an artist and seeing like you know um, Anthony not really he losing his artistic voice and vision and then finding it through this legend and then becoming obsessed with it. And that's what I kind of focused on because that's what spoke to me about that film. And I, I, you know, back to that, not being looking like Chicago, I wonder if that was maybe the overall point because of, and I've seen this um, talked about in other reviews and people talking about it. And like, maybe it was just because every city now is losing its personality because of gentrification. Like yeah. I, I tell you, I don't recognize the sky, the, the, the lakefront of Toronto is stuffed with condos. There used to be a really cool um, motel called the seahorse motel down um, by the waterfront here. And it was kind of notorious because there's a lot of prostitution going on there, but you know, Hey, place of business, right? <laughs> Where are they going to do their sex work? But um, and it had this gorgeous neon seahorse neon sign, and I just it, that for me was like a, a landmark for the lakeshore in Toronto. It's gone now. There's condos there now, and I actually I remember thinking a couple of years ago, I'm like, where is that sign? If I was like a millionaire, I'd track that sign down because <laughs> it's very iconic, and it's gone now. And it's just I feel like Toronto looks like any other city in the right. western world right so i don't know if that was their point for you know making it look a certain way but also there was a scene where um it was like the waterfront of chicago and looked like there was a bridge and i was i wondered to myself i'm like is that specifically the chicago waterfront i wasn't sure because i've never been my sister went but i've never been to chicago so I, i'm not sure but that shot is shown in like everything chicago related yeah that I've, okay. I've ever seen okay so i guess maybe that was like it's chicago folks maybe it was a bit too obvious i don't yeah i don't know but it's it's interesting yeah but i experienced the film in the in the way that you're saying that this person is talking about it because i like to relate to it in a way and if i can't relate to it that's fine. I'm going to try and pull something from it. So, you know, some understanding or some research or whatever. I'm not going to completely dismiss it. I mean, um, there was another great review about the, the, the way black women were treated, right? Or not treated in the film. That mm -hmm. was a really interesting view, too. I really like that. Oh, yeah. Shout out to Danny Bethia. She is, yes. again, she's, I don't know what her situation is, but I 
it, she makes me miss the days where I had ample time to kind of write these, you know, lengthy essays mm-hmm. about this work. And she yes. does it and she does it so sharply because I don't think I can't say that because this is not me fishing for compliments, I promise. But like, I don't think I was even as sharp as she was back when I was writing about films that were recently coming out. Now Mm -hmm. I'm at a point in my life where because of life circumstances, number one, but number two, also just I'm letting like films breathe for me now. Mm -hmm. Like I don't Mm -hmm. I don't need to write about them immediately. I want to kind of see how I feel about them within a month, maybe a year, maybe five years. I don't know If, if I even do get around to feeling moved to write about them so Mm -hmm. that doesn't happen very often for me any longer and I think for good reason because I want to have a real well-rounded perspective on something and be very diplomatic um because this this was not a movie that I hated but it was definitely not a movie that I loved but it was Mm -hmm. something that I liked that I want to see again because I think it has so much going on in it um and there's of course there's more I would have liked to have seen uh yaha aside but you know um (laughs) I was talking I was talking to someone he was saying uh how he felt like anthony even himself was kind of like what he said was because uh shout out to nicole solomon that's my home girl she's a filmmaker the thing you always try to do when you approach your films is know who your audience is and this um this guy, he was saying how he feels like the audience for this Candyman was white hipsters. Mm-hmm. I was like, interesting, um, because it does touch on the idea of gentrification, specifically with artists, because that is very true. I live in a neighborhood that has kind of this. The neighborhood I live in is interesting because it's always been one of the artist hubs in the neighborhood and it's always been relatively affordable, relatively, Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. also you have the aspect of very varying universities that surround the area. And one of the oldest, most richest universities in the country has, is, you know, very more than happy to like, you know, Pac-Man property for students and hike up prices because they know students aren't paying for it. Their wealthy or well-off parents are. So, there's always been this push and pull in certain neighborhoods, especially ones like mine that I live in, where it's definitely for the punks and the artists and the alternative people and the bohemian folks types. But there's also this corporate aspect of it in the business of, you know, university living and university just institutions. And it's, it's always been this kind of like this mixing and melding of each. So it's just like maybe one block is more affordable than another one, et cetera, and so forth. And so mm-hmm. Candyman plays with that too, but even even with a more extreme, it's like those condos you were talking about in Toronto is mm-hmm. like, you know, that's what's kind of happening to that Cabrini green space is that like, ooh, fancy condos that probably cost way more money than they actually should. Mm-hmm. And how Anthony and Brianna is his girlfriend's name, right? Yeah, Brianna. Yeah, and how Anthony and Brianna are occupying these spaces, and then Troy, her, uh, her Brianna's brother, is this. You know, he's a realtor, so he's all because so realtors are all about money. They mm-hmm. want to because they can make good and easy money fast if you're good at your job. That's like that's good money, and so all of this stuff is about you know them being kind of the same people that you know who get criticized for gentrification Mm -hmm. and you know the guy i was talking to was kind of talking about the way he 
Anthony even dressed. He's kind of he kind of looks like a hipster, like he kind of stereotypically, you know, he kind of even kind of comes off. He's like not he doesn't come off as a clown per se, but he does mm. kind of have this gait about him and the way he dresses seems very I don't know, man. I to me, I like guys who dress like that. And if they're black, mm. even better out of that. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. I agree. Like I think I think that his style is a reflection of his art in a way but then yeah i really i like his style i think it's it's very artistic but then i don't it, to me it didn't really seem well i guess yeah hipsters are just a watered down beatnik from the 60s so you know <laughs> i mean what are you, what are you gonna do it, yeah it's it's a lot to unpack because i saw um a youtube review and it says something like candy man was made for bougie black people or something not necessarily <laughs> no it's no, it's not. I don't know. I mean, I guess that's clickbait. But yeah, I mean, what do you want? This is what my question is like. So do you want black people to always look like they're living in squalor? Or can we not progress so that we can enjoy being middle class or, you know, making money or like, this is what I don't understand. It's like, do you want us always to be stuck in a quagmire of sorrow and trauma and dress in rags or I, I don't like I don't know what it is it's like you're damned if you do you're damned if you don't that's true know. so we have yeah. to I don't know who's going to listen to this and people can yeah. agree or can and can agree or disagree but we just pretty much me and you together we probably just have to kind of lay out that blueprint now or that pact mm -hmm. or that kind of agreement that especially in today's age where people are finally clamoring for like actual black creatives to produce work in the horror genre, mm -hmm. we have to kind of like resign ourselves to the fact that like nothing is perfect. There isn't, there's not going to be everything that comes out that's going to please us. And we should just maybe give attention to the things that we like or that we love or that like, you know, we can have a, a real interesting discourse about even if we don't like it or even if we disagree, it's just, there's mm -hmm. nothing, nothing is ever going to please everyone. And just yeah. and just and just period just put a period on it and move on. Yeah, absolutely. Because I, you know what, I just sounds it sounds cliche, but sometimes I'm like I'm just getting too old for this. <laughs> <laughs> like a lot of the discourse was really interesting, and then a lot of people were like get putting their dukes off, up, you know, like taking their earrings off and getting the Vaseline. They're ready to go. And I'm like, <laughs> it's a movie, people celebrate that it's a black woman director directing horror um my only because i remember I, I messaged you and i said it feels a little jordan peely i don't know just kind of had his mark on it and i can't pinpoint it but that was maybe one of my first criticisms of it but whatever i mean he co-wrote it so what are you gonna do right and, and i don't feel that way at all right so <laughs> see and we can talk about it and we're not like duking it out yeah no so yeah, like, I don't know. It just, I don't know what it was about this particular film and this kind of dust up that really kind of got under my skin. I don't, I don't know. I just, and I feel kind of protective of Nia DaCosta. I don't, I have no, you know, I have no dog in this fight. I don't really care, but I just feel some somewhat protective of her and I want her to do more. And yeah. Oh, I, she's definitely, she's definitely going to do more. Especially, yeah. with, especially as the, the numbers are talking. Yeah, number one at the box office, which is alarming and great at the same time. It's because, you know, people are actually 
going out despite the panini that's happening. <laughs> you know, they're going to see her film. So that says something, you know? I don't know, man. Yeah, I did go, um, you know, first time in the theater since Invisible Man back in like early 2020. And oh, wow. I, yeah, I, I can understand why people aren't, I'm, that's why I'm surprised. I thought that they were going to let this be early access and but you can watch it on like Amazon Prime for like 20 bucks because honestly, I didn't like that it's not particularly socially distant anymore and that there are people mm-hmm. like picking like theater seats that are way too close, way too close to me than I prefer. Mm-hmm. And then I got to deal with people talking in the movie. Like it's all the stuff I just did not miss. That's why mm-hmm. I understand people's like love for like going to the movies. I certainly like going to the theater, but not when people are just rude and just disruptive and sitting too close to you. I don't know you. Why mm-hmm. you sitting so close to me? You know? So having to deal with that was a little uncomfortable, but I am glad yeah. I did see it again. And we got to talk. And now that we're, t- we're talking about it again, I didn't, yeah. this is just us kind of just shooting the shit on it. Like not like mm-hmm. going into too much detail because I think us, I, well, I'm saying it on air now to you. Like mm-hmm. maybe this is a movie that we will come back to in another few years and like have an in-depth conversation about it. I don't know. Cause mm-hmm. there is so much more to it. And there are so many great essays coming out now that I, that I haven't been able to really fine tooth comb. Like I would like to, and kind of like bring out other people's perspectives and points too. It's mm-hmm. what I did with, um, when I, before the, before Candyman came out, when I kind of talked about my history with this movie and being, mm-hmm. and being un, unfair to it um, initially, because of my experience, because because of my experience watching it as a kid, and not mm-hmm. kind of un, kind of getting it, but not really fully getting it, and then when again, reading makes you a better writer. So reading other people's work, I was just like mm-hmm. it made the light bulb go off as to like what how, what makes what how how can I make Candyman truly make sense. And then when I was reading about other people, I was talking about, oh, Helen is getting her comeuppance from being that dismissed, like very much like Sweetheart, being that dismissive white woman of Black people. Mm-hmm. And, that, and that to me was a good closure on, on the 92 version. It made, because that that's that's what made the most sense to me. But then with this new Candyman, again, it's it, on top of all of that, they give it this, they give it this folklore oral tradition kind of feel to it, which I really love. I mean, of course they touch on a touch on that on the original but i love it here even more because of coleman of coleman domingo's character and how he talks about how Candyman is not just a person it's a way to cope with black american trauma specifically mm-hmm. absolutely yeah i i really liked his character too i know it kind of got a little bit over the top towards the end but i really liked his character as as that link to that legacy of Candyman and Cabrini Green, you know, mm-hmm. I really liked his character and, and for the things that he says, I mean, they, a lot of people are like, yeah, it's pretty, you know, kind of hits you over the head with a sledgehammer, but not really, but no. y- yes and no. But yeah. I, I don't know. It makes me tired. <laughs> yeah. C- certain lines of dialogue. Sure. It's just like, yeah. okay, we get it. Um, but but overall, it wasn't too much that kind of that, kind of, that, that it took me out of the film because there are a lot of yeah. amateur movies that mm-hmm. are come out that do that do that and they they're constantly like spoon feeding you and hitting you over the head with things and it's mm-hmm. kind of annoying. But Candyman does dance that line, but it doesn't do it so much that it makes the film un, un- unenjoyable or kind of takes you out of it, so to speak. Yeah, and um, 
I know a lot of people really like the ending because they felt it was cathartic. <laughs> oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And a, then just a lot. Yeah. Yeah. It's like it's. It's, yeah, because it's almost kind of sad, right? That, that was Anthony's fate. Like it's, yeah. it's the, that's the thing about intergenerational trauma, especially amongst Black people, is just like mm-hmm. sometimes you're given things that you cho- that you didn't choose. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? You you experience happened to you when you were very young. You had you you were not able to make decisions on your own, and you have to carry the weight of that bur- of those burdens of those of that trauma, and that's so yeah. unfair. Yeah, it really is. And that's yeah. pretty much what happens to Anthony here. And I speak from personal experience. And yeah. so, and just seeing that, it's just, it's, it was kind of, it was, it was really heartbreaking. And I think that's a, definitely a part of the horror of this movie. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, they sent um, extensive, because I got a screening link. <laughs> got in trouble for that. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Um, yeah, I got a screening link and I got like, we got extensive production notes. They were actually really excellent, excellent, excellent production notes. I wish more films did this. I mean, I know it takes a lot of time, but it was really interesting that Nia DaCosta said that, and she, I think she said in an interview, she didn't want to show like black people being killed per se, like being slashed left and right. But I think what she did here, like and when Ashley, as you were saying with Anthony, it has a lot more impact and a lot, a lot of a like a deeper emotional connection when you think of it that way. That he's carrying this thing, he's experiencing this life that he didn't, he didn't pick, he didn't pick to be in this situation, right? Mm-hmm. So it just it's it has a lot of impact for sure. So I that that's kind of my final nail on this on my thoughts on it uh mm-hmm. right now mm-hmm. uh, again also i love that danny bathia also brought up the fact that like you know i wish women had more of a like say or like not say but like that their stories were explored more that we got more of vanessa williams i think a lot of us wanted more of vanessa williams to be quite yeah. honest mm-hmm. um and so i i agree that's very important let let's hope that we can see that director's cut yes and like with Brianna too, with her father, exactly, and, and that because that was really intriguing to me, and I I really like the use of color uh, in this film, and like the men and what they were wearing, that the, those little pops of honey, like that mustardy mm. honey yellow, mm-hmm. where you know Candyman was wearing it, Brianna's father, um, Anthony's hat, um, it, it, that that kind of pulled that connection in too for me. I really like the use of color. Yeah, so you got to give because Nia Deca- Nia DaCosta is still very much. Um, I don't know how many like student films she has and things like that, but for for all intents and purposes, she's a quote unquote new filmmaker, mm-hmm. and you have to let people again how we like like the perfect example is Adam Marcus. He came out well. He came out of film school, and they gave him Jason Goes to Hell, and by many accounts, he did an awful job. You know what I mean? So why <laughs> can't we give? someone who has shown she actually has talent mm-hmm. some more opportunities even if you don't like what she did with the work um visually or st- narratively i say it's more than fair to kind of like let her breathe as an artist and to let her get the opportunities that she is getting mm-hmm. so and and as a second film not too bad not too shabby okay come on it's a gorgeous film so i <laughs> <laughs> yeah so oh, hey. yeah that's it for us for now that's all i feel like I, do, is that kind of how you want to kind of 
end kind of discussing Candyman? Is there anything else yeah. burning at the moment that you might want to bring up? No, no, not at all. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, yeah, I think that was really cool. It was a great discussion. So, Ashley, where can people find you? At Ashley Takes Note on Twitter. <laughs> and you can find me at BFD Pixie on the Twitters. All righty. Happy back to school time for people who are in school and stuff and people who have to work at schools and stuff and for people who don't you are lucky as all get out <laughs> yeah happy back to school i guess until next time peace bye